Welcome to Shadows from the Tree. This week we're going to dive into the darker side of genealogy by exploring stories pulled from newspaper archives and using historical records to find the truth behind them. Specifically focusing on the theme of sickness and the impact it had on the lives of those involved. Um, so I'm Danielle and here I got my cousin Michelle and we are excited to give this episode to you this week. We're doing a little bit of change um, as well. You know, as, as moms, we have a really hard um, time fi- finding a perfect spot in time to record. Yep. So it's always like, who's going to have the quieter house? Or, <laughs> or when is that going to, uh, you know, when are the kids out? Yeah. And, you know, last time we recorded, we did it at like 8 or 9 at night. Because it was the only time. And I'm like, we're going to try the morning. Because I'm much more lively and my brain works way better in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so. At the end of the day, end of the week, it was... It was a rough one. Yes. <laughs> so thanks for those who tuned in and are continuing to listen as we, you know, also are training ourselves on how to do this podcast. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been a good journey so far, and we'll continue to keep going. So thinking about sickness, my story um, kind of took hold of a family of ten. And when I started researching into this one, I kind of was thinking about how currently, like, my family tree has been affected by sickness. Um, so for me specifically, you know, I grew up without, like, a paternal grandfather because of cancer. So that's how something kind of shaped my tree to the more current times. And then I also was thinking about, like, COVID, right? So oh, yeah. think about the generations to come. They're going to be looking back at our family trees or those who unfortunately lost a loved one during the pandemic and that's truly going to be a lot of articles about that um you know my daughter was born the first week of the shutdown and so um her grandfather got her her, a newspaper article for every birthday and the first one for her first year um, birthday or the date of her birth was first covid case you know um so it shall be interesting, but um, do you feel like you have any experience in your family with, like, in your current family of how sickness affected, or have your family been pretty, mostly, pretty healthy? Mostly cancer. Cancer too. My, yeah. My family, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's definitely something you can't avoid, and it definitely alters people's lives and the way they continue their future. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. So, all right. So my article. Let's get the date here. So. It was from the Philadelphia Inquirer, and it took place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and was on um, written on Wednesday, January first, nineteen thirteen. It was across two pages, so it was on sort of the front line um, header, Mm -hmm. and then also you had to go down to another page to find the rest of the story. But it was called um, "Death, Sickness, Poverty Prey on This Household," with a smaller headline of "Baby Dead." Wife ill, seven children starving, the burden. Yikes. With another smaller headline, husband unemployed and is unable to defray child's funeral expenses. They needed GoFundMe. I know, seriously. I know, they needed a GoFundMe of of today's time. So when we decided that, hey, let's try to find an, an episode on this topic, it was the first one I actually came across, and it just, I read it, and I was like, ooh, I need to share this family's story, yeah. and um, I wanted to know what happened to the to the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. So I just decided to go with it. It's intriguing. It was intriguing, yeah. yeah. So when I started, um, 
I'll give you some more details about the story after, but I started to go on Ancestry and Family Search and find um, more information. But the thing I was running up against was the surnames, which in genealogy, they use surnames typically over last name or family name. Right. But I found several spellings of the last name. Yeah, so, that can make it way trickier. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I'm still, like, getting used to Ancestry. Like, they do have a really good tool where you can, like, tick where it sounds, like, it sounds familiar, sounds like a name. Um, yeah, but like the closeness bar. Yes, yeah. you can yeah. move the closeness bar to yeah. see. Um, or, you know, if you're confident about the first name, you can check that. But I found um, a lot of different spellings. So the family's name is Seleski. And they came from Poland. Mm -hmm. And let me just, and I have lots of notes, um, so my brain can remember everything. But So I found several. So a couple examples were S-U-L-E-S-K-I, S-U-L-E-S-K-I-E, S-U-L-E-C-K-I, S-T-O-L-E-C-K-I, and S-Z-Y-L-U-C-K-I. So those were just a handful, but there were way more differences. And I think an important part of this story being in 1913 and having be an immigrant family, one of the censuses I did find did say, like, he, he couldn't read or write in English. Right. So you think about all the immigrants that came over. There's a lot of miscommunication happening. Even the people who are walking around doing the censuses, I'm sure, yeah. you know, I'm not sure. When they were transposing on, like, Ellis Island, I've, yeah. I've read that they didn't get a lot of names correct right yeah. and so and People I think even change their names right too. that's so true and even in our uh, more recent family I have a, a or my husband's side of the family when they came and immigrated like they totally butchered their names and yeah. lost part of their whole first name and you know so it's it's definitely interesting but um and being in 1913 my first kind of reaction was to go and look at the 1910 census yeah I spent a lot of time. I could not find anything. And being a family of 10, I thought, wow, I should find something quickly because I have a lot of information from the one article. Yeah. Um, the article gave me all the names of the first, the first names of the children, their age, yep. the year um, Thomas, the father, immigrated. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, it even gave their address. So I was like, okay, I'm finding something. Yeah. And I did not. <laughs> so the 1910 census census is really, I might have to go back to it because it's bothering me that I can't find it. But Sometimes they go instead of like the U.S. census, it's by state. I found if oh, you by look state? at like the okay. state government office, sometimes oh. they have more details. Oh, I had to do that for, for a couple. Like gonna... Massachusetts specifically, for some reason they weren't in the the U.S. one. But, so strange. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to definitely have to do that, but. And then another thought was maybe they didn't live at that address three years ago or two years ago, and I don't, but I could, shouldn't should have found them somewhere. Yeah. In the in the census in 1910, but good point. I will have to circle back. Um, so getting into my story a little bit, I told you kind of we got some information there. So I'll give you a couple um, names of the family members, and if you have a Seleski in your family tree, I would encourage you to kind of dig in and this could be a story about your family. Um, and I, I'm always super curious about, you know, um, had you been told this story through generations or is it new information to you? Your reaction being a close family member, how did it make you feel? Um, those are the things I really find interesting. 
so we have Thomas. He's the dad. Um, and the only bummer about this story was they didn't give the wife's name specifically. They just said the wife. Um, but the children were John, who was 17, Stella, 14, Clara, 12, Frank, 11, Nellie, 7, Anna, 5, Mary, 3, and then Thomas Jr., who was um, six days old. So that's a lot of babies. Yeah. I encourage every woman back in that generation who's had multiple children, because I could not do it, (laughs) but um, it's a lot. But it creates a big family, which I'm sure was lots of fun. So those are our, um, I guess you say, characters in our story or people that we'll be speaking about. But um, the whole part of the story was all about the youngest child, Thomas Jr., who was six days old. And he had um, unfortunately died of tuberculosis. And the whole meaning behind the story was that the dad had such hardships recently that he did not even have enough money to bury his own child. And um, it it talked about in um, the wife had been sick over a year and he had to actually stop his job to take care of the family. But even when he was working, it specifically said that he had um, been paid $7 a week, but their rent was $7 a month, plus you're having to feed all these children and take care of them. So it was actually pretty sad where the guy, whoever was interviewing him for the story, had even written that um, between sobs and in broken English, he was telling his story. And even Clara, who was 12, had to help tell the story because Mm -hmm. he couldn't carry on um and so this all happened right around new year so that the first line in the story is new year new year's holds no happiness um for for this family unfortunately so um they go ahead i i being about thomas i found his death certificate so that's always super helpful it did confirm the address there was a discrepancy in the story the story said he was six months old but the death certificate was six days old and I'm saying my death certificate is accurate given the name of the parent on there and the um, address but they didn't list the mother which I just thought was it said mother unknown which was kind of odd because she was in the household yeah um so anyway but so I got that information which was good it even um was saying how the people who own uh, were part of the cemetery heard his story and actually gave him a burial so that was really, kind of yeah, so that was nice. And I think that made him feel probably a lot better. Um, and there was a lot of talk about this family back then because even the teacher had noticed that two of the kids who were going to school were like had barely no clothes on them. Um, they had like a really small house. They said like pretty much everything was just in one room and there was that many people in it. And even neighbors were trying to give him food and it had said that, you know, they were trying to give him food to help feed the kids, but only recently, up like a month ago, um, before this all happened, he was too, I don't want to say stubborn, but he, prideful yeah. in accepting the help. But then, after you know, a month got really hard and they were helping him feed feed all the kids. There was also a, f- 
the old GoFundMe of the day and people were sending in money. Um, there was even, where did I write that down? There was one anonymous um, sympathizer, it said, who gave $5, which was like an equivalent to, uh, I can't find it in my notes, it was like $150 or something like that. Um, so that would have really helped them. Definitely. A little girl who was eight years old heard the story and wanted to give money. Mm-hmm. So there was an article about that. Um, so before I go further back into the story, I was looking up the Franklin Cemetery, which is where Thomas was buried, mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Jr. And um, it was a free burial. So I guess there were probably many people in that cemetery who were buried for free. But I found an interesting article in 1947 um, it was called Old Cemetery Will Be New Playground. And so... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so in 1947, they supposedly transferred 8,000 bodies, which were supposedly part of 240 grave sites, um, to another cemetery. And it's now an elementary school. The site of the... Where the buried bodies used to be. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> So I found that and I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, the good thing, I, I don't know the exact dates, but, um, you know, 1947, I'm wondering when the dad had passed away. Like, I can't imagine being the family member and maybe getting the news that they need to be transferred or. Um, Were they still alive? When they let me happened? see. I'm going to pull up my tree quick and just get the dates that they had. Um, most of them, I think they would have. No, there was one in 1943, so that was a child. So I think they would have mostly been passed by that time they had to transfer them, which is, I guess, kind of more helpful in a sense to for the yeah. emotional connection part of it. Um, but then, to make it even worse with the Franklin Cemetery, uh, there was another article posted in 1988, and it was a tale of 47,000 bodies, final resting place unknown. So... It was a whole thing about owners of the cemeteries and it was resold or something and they were convincing, they went to police saying that they didn't think all the bodies from that Franklin Cemetery had been transferred there and thought there were other places, so. Record keeping was not, yeah, not, not so good. Not so good and it's just like, oh gosh, you know, who knows. So that was just an interesting thing about the Franklin Cemetery. But, so then I move on to the mom, uh, who I did find a death certificate certificate for who was named Mary Ann. And um, come to find out, you know, I was was hopeful that she had made it with her tuberculosis. And um, unfortunately, she had it for 28 days it was listed her sickness. Mm -hmm. And she died in January, on the end of January. So long suffering. Yeah, long suffering. And then not only did she lose her child, and and in the article they talk about how the, mo- the mother was just so sickly and so emotionally yeah. gone from losing her child. So She just gave birth. And exactly. So, yeah, so there's the things that come after giving birth. You, oh, yes. Um, so it's a lot. So um, she was buried in a different cemetery. And I actually, uh, some family members, it seemed, on Ancestry had done a lot of research. And I found some pictures and if this information is accurate, there's a picture of Thomas standing at her cemetery oh. gravestone. So I will um, let's actually see if I have it just to show you quickly. But supposedly that's Thomas. I'm not sure who that is, and that's Mary's grave site. 
But my question when I looked at this was, he looks pretty well dressed. So that was my only question. Like being in poverty only 28 days after. Might be like their funeral clothes. You know, yeah, it's true. They and they might have had some. Something yeah, that's true. Nice. So, and then there was a picture of what is to be believed as um, Thomas and Mary. Wow. So I'm not sure what year that was supposedly dated, but... Um, so that was interesting. Great find, though. Yeah, great find. Yeah, someone definitely did a lot of research in that family, which is always nice to have. And our hopes for our own families yeah. is they get our information that we found about our family trees. But so that was Mary, um, tuberculosis of the lung. So then I was just curious about tuberculosis and um, did a little bit of research. And I was saying at the you know the early 19th century, like every one of seven were dying of tuberculosis, and obviously they had those. Um, tuberculosis uh, sanatoriums but that wasn't until like um, the early 20th century which really is a kind of like quarantine so you send the sick you know instead of ours we just with COVID we go to the bedroom and no one comes in and you wear a mask but that was there you know of that time trying to reduce the spread by getting fresh air good food exercise um, and things like that and then also I found an interesting um, I guess photo they they did a lot of campaigns for health when this all started happening with tuberculosis to once it was found out in i what was the date i found 1882 i think it was um yeah 1882 a guy named robert discovered it wasn't genetic supposedly it was all contagious and then that's when the u.s launched all this public safety yeah which brought me back again to covid when we turn on the news let's hear the public speaking of what's going on you know yeah um but there was just and i'll show you this picture which i'll post on the social media but it was tuberculosis, and it's a picture of a little baby, and it says, don't, don't kiss me kiss on the bib. Me. Um, yeah, and the he- the little quote for it was, your kiss of affection, the germ of infection. <laughs> so, pretty, good pretty catchy, yeah. I know. That was in 1941, but still, you know, this brings it to RSV, This any kind of cold. Yeah. People, if you're listening, do not kiss babies. <laughs> <laughs> Especially I've done a few, winter, yeah. oh yeah, I've done a few karate chops to people before. Just yeah. get your hands away from my baby. But, um, so that was with the tuberculosis. And so, um, it was interesting to find out though. I'm not sure if anyone else in, of the family of 10 got tuberculosis, but no one else died. They all lived. Okay. Um, all of the kids. What happened with the, um, dad is he got remarried. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then in the 1920s, census it was really interesting he lived with his wife but like we talked about last episode with all of the neighbors in the census was his daughter who had married two of his youngest or two of his kids Clara and Nellie were living with Stella as boarders during 1920 and then again in 1920 was where I saw that they couldn't um Thomas and his new wife couldn't read or write but he had a job um and then, yeah, so everyone else, pretty much most of them got married. They all lived through adulthood. And whoever did the research on Ancestry, kudos to you. There was awesome pictures of, like, the siblings getting together in the later parts of their their life. And so they seemed close. And they seemed like they, um, through this tragedy, uh, tragedy of um, sickness, they all stood by each other and were there for each other. So that is pretty much... The main part of my story, and I just, I found it really interesting, and many people would have gone through a similar story like this with tuberculosis, 
or other sicknesses in their family. So just a little a little glimpse of that. And I'm just going to scan through my notes here to see if there's any other important little dates here I noted. But um, I did afterwards do a Google search of the address. Yeah. And if you're doing searching as well, like keyword searches and newspapers and stuff, it's also really good to put the address if you have one because they might not talk, you know, specifically the first names, but might mention people living at that address. Um, but And I did the Google. It's now like a commercial building site so yeah. no houses exist still on, at least on that area uh, let's see and yeah I think that is I think that's all for, for me sad but it didn't take the the whole house over right so that's, that's a positive really just, yeah and the community came together so that is good right to to help him yeah yeah to help him out and then hopefully from there on out he you know got his job a good steady job and you know made it through all right right, awesome excited to hear about yours now all right all right so my story is very interesting i did not find a one right away for okay an illness i did like mysterious sickness i did pandemic so i was going down the like spanish flu kind of like 1918 and there was a lot of information a lot of a lot of people died from that and that i really think affected a lot of people's families like you lose whole branches of trees in so your, true. Yeah. So that was really something that I, I saw a lot about. But I, I kept looking for something a little bit different, a little more intriguing. And I came across um, a story in Massachusetts okay. on Salisbury Beach. So Salisbury is like very north shore right before you get to New Hampshire Okay. in Massachusetts. It's like right on the border there. So there were some articles in New Hampshire, oh, Laden, Boston, that like New Bedford newspaper. I've never heard of that living. Yeah, so close. I've never heard of that area. Yeah, so um, this one was the first one I found. It was the Long Death List. Oh, is the name of the article. Two more victims of poison at Salisbury Beach. No clue yet to the mystery. New cases are being reported, and the doctors are completely puzzled. Landlord Montgomery is today very low. Two servants now ill also. Ooh, that's got me captivated. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I couldn't I couldn't pass that one up. So this is in Haverhill, Mass. This is where the reporting came from, July twenty fifth. So they initially were poisoned on the twenty third, I think. So okay. midsummer. So think think about yeah, Mass going, to the, yes. going to the beach. It's a it's an actual um hotel along the water i'll show you the picture in a minute so it says two more of the party who dined at the cable house um at salisbury beach last wednesday are dead oh my gosh leroy smith a young son of john b smith of haverhill died in great agony and daniel mccarthy also of haverhill an employed hostler at the cable house stables bed breathed his last um so he took care of the, the horses at the, the stable at the the hotel. I'm assuming then it's mostly more richer families um, going here, I, I reckon? I'd, I'd say 
middle class. Yeah, they had a they had a dinner. So we'll, okay, we're, we're I'll hear more. All right, here we go. So, um, concerning the others, the doctors in attendance disagree, but their condition remains about the same. John Montgomery, landlord of the Gable House, is more feverish and delirious, and little Joe Keefe of Amesbury, employed at the house, is also in serious condition. Billy Batchelder of Haverhill, employed at the stables, took a bad turn, and his case is perhaps the most doubtful of any. The other patients of John Wesley Smith of Haverhill, a brother of the other Smith boy who died Friday night, Napoleon Chick, Ooh, I like that. Frank Penniman of Salisbury, and two female servants of the house, whose names will not be given to the press for personal reasons. Oh. So that was the first, wow. the first one I found. And what year was that again? This is in 1892. Oh, wow. So it's a while ago. I'll show you the the house. Oh, I love, I honestly love a good picture. Oh, wow. Yeah. Look at that, the horses. Yeah, it's right on the beach. There's like, it was in a line of hotels. And I even found pictures of, there was a carousel no there way. too. Yeah, so it was it was a happening place. People in like neighboring towns of like Amesbury yeah. would come there a lot. A lot wow. of people from Haverhill would go there. Okay. So it's a it's a pretty pretty hopping hopping spot, and um, so there were lots of speculation. So this was like the story of the summer until okay. another thing happened. I'll get to what oh, took gosh. over the news after this. But they didn't mention in there what caused no because they had no okay idea so they don't they know what's just happening like, just dying this is and then sick. and then speculation started oh yeah so we does. just started <laughs> going crazy so let's see the we'll read the the august 2nd so the medical examiner took after the train of Haverhill. so the report they even sent um like stomach contents to harvard to see wow. like what was going on in 1892. Yeah, that's so amazing. They were looking, and a lot of them thought that there were something to do with the poisoning, and mm. they thought it looked like arsenic. <gasps> so back in the day, they was there was this. Um, it was a dye that artists actually used, and it was also used as an ex- insecticide, and it was called Paris Green. So the articles kept referring to Paris Green, Paris Green. I was like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah, I so, never heard of it. So here's a picture of a can. It actually oh, says, like, Sherman Williams made it. Really? <laughs> and, and it says poison right yeah, on the it front. it says poison. It has the skull and crossbones <gasps> on it. Wow. And it says a highly toxic emerald green powder with a mixture of over 50% arsenic acid combined with lime and copper oxide. So artists wow. would use it to create beautiful, vivid green in their paintings. A lot of them got sick from using it. And wow. Went. And then also they used it as, an, it was a great insecticide. Farmers were using it on their crops to kill <laughs> bugs because it would rot out their insides and poison all the wow. bugs. But, you know, slowly poisoning the population as, yeah. as well, probably. So there's that. Okay. Um, and there were a few cases of suicides from Paris Green. In, wow. in this time period too, but I had never heard of yeah, I've never power heard that. screen in my life. So the detectives were brought in because now it's oh yeah a murder case because not only those um, two people, not just Leroy Smith and Daniel McCarthy, but I have a 73-year-old woman from Haverhill, uh, Mrs. Daniel Webster, 
also passed away. Um, Mrs. Sanborn was 43. She passed away. Huh. As well as um, Mrs. George Wilson from Georgetown. She was actually on like um, a like a carriage on her way back to Georgetown, and she started getting really from sick after being yeah, there. Yeah, after the dinner. And so... My mind is just like, where did they use this powder? <laughs> like, oh, I'm so gonna, curious. We're going to get there, okay? So, I'm so there was... They served... They told you what they served. They served fish. So, they originally thought all the fish was bad. Oh. And then they said, oh, no, it wasn't the fish. It was something... They served steamed green beans. Oh, no. So, they were, like, thinking someone, some disgruntled somebody decided they were going to put the, <gasps> the green, the Paris green, uh, hidden on the green beans, and no one would notice. And Intentionally. Intentionally, yeah. So so they talked to, after um, John Montgomery made a, a recovery from being poisoned as well, oh, yeah. the landlord, so they, those like detectives were asking him, like, did you have poison in the house? And he was like, there's only one outdoor shed that had some, some, like, insecticide. But it wasn't Paris green, or was it? There was like. Oh, okay. Could and then get. they were like, oh no, they put it in the pepper. So they would put arsenic oh. in the pepper, and then everybody just put it all over everything. And then it makes you think, though, what's the motive? Yeah. Oh, there's plenty of people who <laughs> have sure. motive. I'm it's sure. like Clue. Like, oh my gosh, let's rule out this person. People. So we have five dead, and they said that over like 20 people actually got sick. Wow. So there's all these other names. So like I said, the brother of the Smith boy who died, he was the Leroy Smith was only 15. Oh. So I just felt really That's bad. That's sad, yeah. Yep. And then there was a Daniel, then like there's just so many different people and then there were different doctors taking care, so they all had their own opinions. Oh gosh. So we talked about Paris Green. Also, they were like, "Oh, it's the water." And they thought there okay. was, like, cholera in the water. Okay. So they tested the water. That was fine. But then John Montgomery was like, oh, well, we could have cleaned out the water by the time they tested it. So Ooh. they were like, okay, well, maybe it wasn't the water. <laughs> well, while you're saying all this, I keep on thinking, this is 1892. Like, yeah. it's, it baffles my mind. <laughs> okay, I'm in my mid-30s. But still, it baffles my mind that this much te- technology and science yeah. could have been happening back then. I don't know how accurate the science was, but they were trying. <laughs> True, right. They were trying. They were looking at... But to have water testing and... Yeah. They were probably looking at, like, a microscope to see if there was, like, ba- bacteria yeah. in the water. Interesting. Which, if you're thinking about a well by the ocean, and then there was, mm. like, runoff, they said, from other area hotels. Ooh. So, it could have definitely yeah. been contaminated. Yeah. But... No one else was getting sick after the fact. Did it say, was there, um, like, a duration of time that this all, like, did all of these people get that, sick within, from like... From that dinner. Just, oh, from, from just that, that one dinner. dinner. Yeah. So it was the evening dinner on that Wednesday in July. Oh, my gosh. Where they, these, like, 50 people were all sick. So it wasn't just, like, oh... oh. That's why they're like, it can't be the water, because the people in the morning yeah. are drinking the same water as people in the afternoon. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my brain is like, I know, thinking right? rapid fire And then right I now. just kept searching and searching, and I even was clipping all these other things, and um, Daniel <laughs> McCarthy yeah. is one of the workers, right? At, well, let's start, let's start, let's go back a little bit okay. more. So and you so you found tons of articles on this tons like thirty okay. like thirty different snippets and this is the exciting part about us not sharing the stories before yeah. now because it's 
you get my initial reaction yeah. and I get yours, which is cool. Okay, so I'm going to read another highlighted part. Okay. So there was a disgruntled employee. Okay, okay. so first suspect so, probably. Uh, the, like the cook and her got into a fight Ooh. and so she was um a recommendation from one of the other hotel managers okay. so so john montgomery hired her she showed up and she was like she didn't show up till noon on her first day and then you know fired everyone if he would have just fired her <laughs> well well maybe she not. didn't last very long so um so let's see. She lived in Newburyport near the waterfront, and when the reporter called at the house, she appeared to be very willing to talk on the subject. So, of course, they have to describe her because that's oh, important yeah. what she looked like, I guess. <laughs> she is of medium height, dark complexion, and quite attractive in appearance. There we go again, of course. When I came to the cable house, she said, I confess I was inexperienced, and after getting to work, I tried to do the best I could. Sometime later, the next day, Mr. Montgomery told me he didn't want me any longer. Naturally, I was a little bit put out about it, but I took my trunk and goods to the hotel next door and stayed there for the rest of the day. I didn't have much to do with the place where the food was cooked or the kitchen, and it was certainly a great surprise for me when I heard <laughs> of the trouble there. Dr. Heard of Newburyport visited the beach in the morning with the purpose of learning, if possible, of something new. Lord... Landlord Montgomery was found in his private office, sitting beside a warm fire, um, but still feeling weak. So, hmm. Mr. Montgomery said that she was not a great... She was, like, being a waitress, I believe, yeah. so she was not, not, good not at her doing job. it. So, he basically canned her her first day, and she went wow. to the hotel next door. But she definitely was seen again at the hotel. Oh! <gasps> later in the day so there was like they thought that she put that in the paris green some kind of arsenic in in interesting right and there was also someone saying well this leroy didn't eat the green beans so it couldn't have been that and then they were like well she could have added it to the tea and because okay because tea you know you see floating things in tea and it's fine but um, the arsenic would actually settle to the bottom, too. Oh, like sugar. So you wouldn't even, like, it, it was tasteless, and it would just be hidden in the tea. So that was that was the other okay. thing. But there was a Daniel McCarthy. Remember I mentioned him yep. kind of like the stable, the, the horse stable handler? Yeah. So he was engaged to a woman named Kate Kennedy. Um, and the other workers at the hotel said that they had seen her in the area the day after clearing out daniel's trunk she didn't show up at his funeral but she was cleaning wait she didn't show up at her mm-hmm. own fiance's well there's there's <laughs> this, <laughs> this was after many she holes. faced faked her own death because she oh, didn't she did. <laughs> she, she's she a suspect <laughs> okay okay Kate Kennedy. I was like, Kate Kennedy, that... that Kate Kennedy, you are... (laughs) What was your intention there? Okay, so let me zoom in on on this one, right? So there was an insurance policy. Okay. Of course course there was. A policy found. Detective Batchelder has this document. Kate Kennedy, shown to be innocent of theft, why she wanted her letters back. So there were... They were written for her lover's eyes alone. Mm. So she didn't show up at his funeral, but 
the attendants at the hotel saw her pulling stuff out of the trunk and running out and she burnt the letters that she had sent him. Oh, she's definitely it. So, here we go. Foul play at the bottom of the affair. They had carried on through the investigation of her movements. Um, The girl had been seen and talked freely about her relations with McCarthy. She claims that her appearance at the cable house the following day following his burial and her inspection of his effects following the abstraction of the quality of quantity of letters was due to no other than the reason that she wished to avoid the publication of her letters filled with enduring terms. Hmm. One thing she does not explain is that her singular action in sending a letter to the man she loved, a black bordered letter in which he was informed of her death. Okay. So she... Put a letter in the mail to him as one of her family members saying she had died so she didn't have to marry him. But this was after... But she could get his insurance. After he put her as her his <gasps> beneficiary in an insurance policy. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, right. So it was actually um, a... Like a John... Um, it was like a, the insurance company that's still around today. Oh. That yeah. was like, they're investigating it. So they had found the insurance policy. She didn't take that. She just took the the suspicious letters. So I don't know if she ever got paid, but all the letters of whatever she sent to him were gone. And What else was in those letters is I what know, I want to know. I know. That's, I wish she didn't burn them. Because <laughs> I would have been reading those for sure. Huh. So there's the two. So the the um, the French maid who okay. didn't make it, um, waitress Julia LaPlante. Okay. She was not in anything really I could find because okay. she moved around or was not part of census, anything, anywhere. Okay. And then there's Kate Kennedy who lived in Amesbury. But also got re- got married after the fact, so it was hard for me to, like... Track fully, yeah. the name. Because was it Catherine? Was it Kate? Was right. it, like... Were they both from Ireland? Like, he, he had no other family here. His John... um Daniel McCarthy's family were from Ireland, and they would send him, like, monthly, Aww. like, um like an allowance almost. Aww. And she, he would give it to her. Oh, he would come give it on. to Kate Kennedy. <laughs> If you have a Kennedy, a Kate Kennedy in your family tree, I need to know more. Right? Please. What was she up to? Please, please. That's so interesting. They, that detective didn't find her to be guilty for whatever really? reason. Did she go to like, it literally only stayed at like the local level? It didn't go to like a jury or anything? Well, you want to know why? Because the following two weeks, mm-hmm. The newspapers, I started noticing, like, their stories were getting smaller and smaller. I was like, oh, why are we losing interest? And I look over, and it's Lizzie Borden. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So. That makes so much more sense. (laughs) So I think a lot of efforts, a lot of energy started shifting away from the cable house poisoning to Lizzie Borden. Because that was the story of that time. So, Which, if you're listening... Most people, at least in New England, would know that. Yeah. And if you don't, it's a rather interesting story. Um, they even have the Lizzie Borden house you can go yeah. and visit. Um, so that makes total sense. But, okay, so back to Kate yeah, or Catherine. Did she, did they end up finding out, like, confidently what poisoned them? They, a lot of the doctors said it was, it was arsenic, because, arsenic okay. because of the, the way that... They like 
they were delirious and they were mm. vomiting. It was just like they couldn't stop. Interesting. And then it was once they were well, like once they got out of their system, the, the remaining group was... So we'll never know to this day, though, how it got in the food. Right. Potentially, if that's the strongest. I did a little digging, though, on John McCarthy. Because I was like, I want to know, like, what happened to him after. That's the landlord? Yeah, Yeah. the landlord. And I'm looking stuff up. And I was like, did he he pass away, like, relatively soon after that? Yeah, did the carriage house stay open? or? Yeah, and I found that the cable house actually burned down. Oh. In 1899, so only seven years later. Okay. So there was an article on that, and a neighboring hotel caught fire, and it was just like oh, a chain effect. Them. So that happened, and there was said it was like it, it was valued at like eight or nine thousand dollars. So back then, that was yeah, it's a lot of money. Pretty pretty hefty sum to lose. But I'm looking up his death record, and I found it that he passed away February 27th in 1904, apoplexy. Um, so he had passed away. They put like attributed to a fatty heart. I'm like, is that like I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so, but I'm looking at the record, and his father's name is John Tyler Bragdon. Hmm. So a like, different last name. Why does he have a different last name? And his mother is Julia Pomeray. I'm like, okay, so. He didn't keep either of the names. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. And I found that he had purchased this cable house in um, 1885. So. Yes, he didn't have it for. For very long, yeah. no. And it looked like he had worked there before he bought it. Or maybe it was like gifted to him from the previous hmm. owner. But I found he had married in, um, let's see, 1859. So he has. He was older, okay? Okay. So he um, he kind of didn't stick around with... He had two sons with this woman, Lydia Ann um, Wigger Bragdon. Mm-hmm. And he had a son named Charles and another son named Frank. So previous to this, it listed him as like a shoemaker. So he was in like the family mm-hmm. business of making new shoes and I guess these two sons kept up with that and they had like their own business and you could tell they really did get along as brothers because they named their own children like like names like after each other after each other so I was like that's really cute I like the I have two boys so you know yeah I I like when the brothers actually get along that's always that is nice (laughs) that's the goal as a parent right right? (laughs) definitely and they were in um in the area, but it was like Marblehead, Mass. Okay. So, it, and I don't know if he just left her, like what happened there, yeah. but he changed his name from Bragdon to Montgomery. And it even says it on like the, the find a grave. Like really? there's it's no, amazing. yeah, like changed name. Like I can show you the, who put it in here. That's so interesting. Yeah. So, yep. Says John Edward Bragdon Montgomery. He was the son of John Tyler and Julia Ann Pomeroy. Um, John changed his name somewhere between 1880 and 1900. So, like I said, he bought it in 18, 1885, so he changed his name. And then I was looking up, and he had he was a gambler. Oh, so I'm that like, could be dangerous. Yeah. And, and then I'm like, did he have people who oh, were after him? So he have vendettas against him. So there's a whole, there's yeah. like three or more possibilities about like. 
And what is going on with yeah. I'm sticking with Catherine. Catherine. Did it in the dining room with, with the arson the- in the Brussels sprouts. That's where I'm going. It was it was Four, a, with the motive. It was a deep dive. Yeah. I was having a great time looking at all the details of this and just kept I mean honestly more like and more. sad for those. Yeah. Like why did those other people have to Right. For whatever reason, why did those other people have to not make it? Yeah. For her whatever revenge or whatever she was doing against potentially the fiance. Yeah. See, I think it was Julia, the disgruntled worker. Like okay. I think she got into a fight with the cook in, and then she wanted to frame the cook for making everyone sick. That so. actually sounds pretty plausible. Yeah. So So if you're listening, <laughs> we're gonna post this story and we wanna hear who you think did yeah. it. Take a poll. Yes. Who did the cable house poison? Yes, that's super interesting. And so funny, though, that, like you said, that they dwindled and then yep. the police had to go do and different efforts. And I kept looking. I was like, oh, maybe I'll look for newspaper articles for 1893 and yeah. 94. And all they said was, an arrest will be made soon. And then... Never happened. They just, like, it was just to get people excited and talking about it again. I wonder how... Um, well, two things really quick. I, I'm going to write down because I want to look it up. Like, back then, did they have, like... Um, town documentation when you changed your name like I wonder I'm sure they do they must have had I've yeah. never I've never come across a document like that but it'd be kind of cool to see what that looks like and then I also wonder like did the I guess the profit of that house the carriage house like did people stop going there after they heard the story like did it affect their business well it was closed up for a few weeks and they like while well, they did the well investigation, in, while they were looking okay. at stuff, and John, like all the workers were sick. He even had a housekeeper named Mrs. Wing, who lived with him for like a long time, even after it burned down. I saw her on census with okay. him, so Mrs. Wing might be a little, yeah, <laughs> a little <laughs> sketchy too. I don't know. <laughs> lots of interesting, lots of people involved in this story. Yeah. So that's like that's definitely a captivating shadow if these people are in yeah. your family because. You know, when you're looking up family, your own family, and, and to come for our family tree, when you find an article that's kind of darker, yeah. it kind of just, A, captivates you because you want to know more about it. And it's just, um, it's really surprising, especially how they wrote back then in the newspapers. Yep. They really make you um, kind of imagine what it was like and paint a picture for you. Yeah. So. It was a really, really good story, and I want to know. Yeah. I wanna it's not done it. yet. We know. <laughs> no. I always find the mysteries. Exactly. <laughs> Makes me think all the time about them. But awesome. Well, if you are listening and you have a story kind of like this or similar, or you've heard something in your family, write to us. We have shadowsfromthetree at gmail.com and we also have social media on Facebook, um, Shadows from the Tree. So we'll post some um, pictures, some articles uh, to have a look at. Yeah. And Thanks, Thanks everyone for listening. All right. Cheers. <laughs>